What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BCMA podcast. That's the Black Clover Martial Arts podcast. It's your boy Lucky from Lucky's Muay Thai. I hope that you have had a fantastic week. Most of you guys are getting back into your daily routines, at least to some extent. Um, I know it's been crazy for us. The gym has been, you know, pretty good. We haven't allowed a lot of people back. Making people book online, trying to keep that social distancing active. We're not sure exactly what's going on, so we are doing our best to maintain, you know, keeping things clean. Um, so it's been a good week. It's been kind of kind of weird and wacky, but it's been good. Uh, so first things first, I bought a skateboard. I know that seems trivial, but I used to skateboard all the time. Lucky known facts. Lucky known facts. Okay, I used to skateboard all the time, and. Um, You know, I remember thinking like, yo, that might be what I'm going to do back in the days to see. There was a, I think, a documentary or short thing they did on ESPN maybe with uh, Tony Hawk. And they were talking about how skateboarding is the newest thing. And Tony Hawk's making $150,000 a year. And like, so this is way back. Um, And I was like, man, I can make money skateboarding. So I went everywhere with my skateboard. I skateboarded all the time. Shout out to all my people back in the day used to skateboard with me. And if I started naming them, it would just never end. Um, but it was a blast. And I got to go to, uh, France or to go to Paris and London when I was young, when I was in high school and I took my skateboard. And when I got to Paris, I was skating by the Eiffel Tower and I ran into these other skateboarders and they were like, yo, you want to go? Do you want to go follow us? Go skateboard. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's go. And I just looked at all the people that I was with from like my class or whatever. And I was like, peace. So I got a great experience. I got to just skate behind these dudes and skate all over Paris and hit all this, the, the spots that they skated at, all this like ill stuff. So man, I had to get a skateboard, um, just to cruise around. I mean, you know, the last few years, I've only really been doing things to like keep the gym going, take care of my daughter. I haven't done a lot of things for me. You know, it's some trivial, like I bought this or bought that, but just things to keep me like, I guess somewhat satisfied, small things, you know? And, um, so buying the skateboard has been fun. Also, just for the record, mm, sorry, I, um, literally fell off the skateboard within an hour of having it hard, hard. One of those moments where the skateboard just shoots out from under you. I got table, I went tabletop and just flat. So yeah, I remember Jacob telling me when I was talking about skateboards, he said, uh, Yo, I don't want to go through that pain again. And in my mind, I was like, ah, what pain? And now I remember what pain he was talking about. So, yeah. But anyway, I'm going to cruise around. You know, I feel like it's something that, you know, just to clear my head and have some fun and just release a little bit. Um, it can't be all work. Got to be some play. And, you know, I don't, my play sometimes is different. I don't need to go out and get just wasted all the time or whatever people like to do. I know Miami's like, Gotta go to the party, gotta buy the bottle, gotta go to this place, gotta spend all this. Yo, man, just give me my skateboard. Uh, my girl's on roller skates. So we just went out and cruised around and it was fun. I had a blast. She got me out of my comfort zone or back into my comfort zone, I should say. So that was fun. Um, also, I got interviewed three times in like five days. So the first one was with, first of, first of all, all, first of all, I've always wanted to do like some public speaking, either donate my time to like schools or, you know, something to that effect or, you know, a TED talk one day, who knows? Um, but 
you don't need practice for these things, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, so I got interviewed by 305 Fights, which is an amateur fight organization here and here in Miami. And, you know, they have some pretty good shows. They got the lights and the smoke and the whole thing. And they, you know, the fights are in a beautiful cage and the venues are usually pretty good. Um, they have some, some local acts performing. So they're, they're really into making sure the local community gets built up. And I love that about them. So they had me on their podcast, their show. And it was fantastic. Like, it was really cool. They had me in the studio. They asked me a bunch of questions. And at the end of it all, you know, like, sort of like towards the, the last, you know, maybe 15 minutes, I lost my train of thought twice. I felt like I was killing it all the way through. And then at one point, I kind of went, oh, no, what did he just ask me? And that's like, um, that's one of those things where you realize, oh, that's why they take Alpha Brain before they do these three-hour podcasts or whatever. So, yeah, I lost my train of thought. I think I still pulled it off pretty good. It was great being on their show. It was great that they had me on. I'll talk a little bit more about them later because I want to talk a little bit about uh, amateur fights coming back and what that means exactly. So um, after I left that interview, which was really, like I said, it was really nice for them to have me on and let me talk, run my mouth about you know, martial arts or whatever. So that was cool. When it comes out, I'll make sure the link is on the Instagram and, you know, I'll attach it so everybody can check it out. Um, when I left there, I got to be interviewed. And it's one of those things you gotta be, you know, you got to be because it was kind of a sad situation, but, um, I was interviewed by Angelina Tapin, I think her name is for New York magazine about police brutality because like maybe two weeks ago, um, Immortal Technique who's a rapper activist. If you don't know who that is, please go check him out. Uh, shout out to Immortal Technique wrote on his Twitter. When was the first time that you got a gun pulled on you by a cop? And so, and then he told like, you know, when the first time it happened to him was so underneath it, I wrote when the first time it was that it happened to me. Um, I don't know if I was one of the first ones or if just, you know, she was scrolling and saw that. But she's doing a piece um, in New York Magazine, and she contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in telling my story for that piece. So I was like, yo, that's um, that's cool. So I definitely agreed to it. And when she called and we got the interview finally set up and going, it was really intense. It's not just that you're telling your story, right, it's of something that's traumatic that happened. It's also that you're having to also have some retrospective of that time because she's asking you questions about those particular moments and what happened and when did it happen and, you know, how did you react? How did you feel? Like all these different things because she wants to write, I'm sure, an accurate story and she's trying to, you know, get information to come out. Um, so, yeah, I got interviewed for that. And listen... Um, it was great to be able to tell my story and I'm looking forward to reading it. You know, I don't know who else told their stories. I want to read whatever happened to them as well. I want to hear, you know, other people's stories about what's going on and shout out to the protesters out there, man. Like if you're out there being safe and, you know, peaceful protesting, if you're out there donating, if you're out there taking part in the, in, um, some kind of community service to try to help us get beyond these moments of, uh, police brutality and, you know, this militarization of the police and lack of training and so forth and so on, then I shout you out, man. I salute you because I know it's hard out there trying to get people uh, to recognize what's going on and be knowledgeable. So I got to tell my story and that was 
uh, it was great for me. So I hope that when it comes out, you guys check it out. And when 305 Fight Thing comes out, I hope you check it out. Um, and then one more time, I got interviewed by uh, Miami Spine and Performance. One of my students and his wife own that that uh, facility. They take care of uh, a lot of athletes and that type of thing. And they interviewed me for their coaches. Uh, I guess they do a coaches episodes or coaches episodes. And I got to spend another hour, you know, conversating about martial arts, what it means to me, you know, what, you know, how I got here and a lot of those things. And it was, it was really cool, really cool. And I have the link for that. So I'll definitely add that to the end of this podcast so that you can enjoy it. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yo, losing your train of thought in the middle of these things is pretty, pretty rough because you're not, there's no editing, right? Like there's no, let me just cut this here and stick that and attach it. I mean, I suppose you could do that, but um, a lot of times these, now these things are done on like Instagram live, Facebook live, all that stuff. So when you're live and you lose your train of thought, um, it's, it's pretty awkward. But uh, listen, I got a lot of practice, so I really, really enjoyed it. I hope somebody else calls me and says, yo, let me interview you because I know y'all are going to get tired of me talking on here. <laughs> um, all right, so let's bring this back around to 305 Fights and other amateur organizations because this is super important. It's something that we spoke about while I was there, um, and it's something that I wanted to bring to people's attention when it comes to you know to fights and people who are so into martial arts. So right now, there is... Uh, very little fighting going on. The UFC is putting on some shows. They're about to go to Abu Dhabi and do Fight Island or whatever that is. Um, One Championship is a big organization, and they are cutting 20% of their staff, I think, coming over the next month. They're still going to pay some people and take care of some health insurance, so they say. And um, boxing is taking their time to get back in. And, you know, whether it's being cautious because of the virus or whether it's being cautious because, you know, nobody has venues or you don't want to, you know, you, you're, you can't put the shows on. Some people have the ability to do a pay-per-view, you know, big name boxing can do a pay-per-view and not necessarily need a gate in order to make a ton of money. Now, listen, definitely you need the gate, right? And that's where we're going to get back to the amateurs. If you're an amateur promoter, for people that don't know, they make the money off of the gate. They don't have a pay-per-view uh, you know, they don't have pay-per-view backing and funding coming in. So they can't afford to not have uh, asses in seats, as they say. So I'm not sure how they're going to get, you know, back to putting on shows regularly. It's going to be really difficult. I feel like, um, you know, one of the things that you notice as a coach is that promoters that put on amateur shows are often really, really pushing to sell as many tickets as they can. They're selling VIP tickets that get you a table. They're selling regular tickets that get you a seat. And then they're selling like the low tickets, which you only, you can only you get standing. And they're trying to pack the place because it's the only way they can make money, right? Um, they're not paying the fighters, but they are paying for the venue. They're paying for a sanctioning body in order to make sure that people are taken care of and that the, the event is covered at, you know, for insurance purposes. Um, they're paying a medical staff doctors to make sure that the fighters are taken care of. Um, they're paying, you know, a ton of different things. So without asses in seats, it's going to be really difficult to put on a show. Now I've seen some, some amateur promoters um, booking venues for 
three, four months down the road, which is, you know, I don't, you have to book the venues. You got to say you're putting on the fights because you have to keep the interest, you know, in your promotion going. The problem is there's no guarantees of what's going to happen, right? So they're booking shows, unfortunately, because they, because they have to, number one, but also with no guarantees that there's even going to be a show available to do. And then furthermore, you don't even know what the capacity is going to be. Like if you're an amateur promoter and you are, that's one of the major things that you do for income or to, you know, to help keep your gym going or just, it's one of those things you help because you love being a part of the fight community, like 305 fights. One of the things that I do enjoy about them is that they take a lot of local talent and that's not just local fighter talent. They put on local acts that perform. So, you know, they are really involved in the community. So, you know, I don't know how those things are going to survive. I know they're going to have to have, you know, be able to have a decent amount of people in there. You know, if they come back and they say the guidelines are going to be that it's a 50% capacity, what are you supposed to do with that? If the venue is still charging the same, the sanctioning bodies are still charging the same, the doctors are still charging the same, like, you know, I don't know. I can, all I can say is that, you know, when the fights do come back, especially the local shows, especially the local shows, it doesn't mean don't go see the pro shows, especially if some boxing or, you know, Muay Thai, MMA, especially Muay Thai kickboxing in the area, please go see those shows. But anytime an amateur show is going on, if you have an opportunity to pay 25 bucks and get to go see a show, it's going to be so helpful to these promoters because without them, the amateurs are going to have a really hard time trying to get themselves up you know, move up the ladder because some places are going to allow people to have shows with, you know, full capacity and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, a lot of fighters don't have money to travel. So if those shows are in say New York or California, Arizona, New Mexico, that kind of thing, Georgia, even if you're a fighter in Miami and you know, you've been out of work for three months, you you barely made money anyway, you know, you're still living with your parents or you're, you know, you're a student, you're going to have to figure out a way to raise money to travel to go and fight if there's no local shows and that's your passion. <sighs> this thing has really set everybody back. And, you know, I suppose you're going to have to be safe. Even if you're putting on fights, you have to make sure. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to have people sign waivers? You know, I just heard our wonderful president's going to have people signing waivers to go to his rally. So is that going to be the new thing? Um, are people going to even be able to say in a, in a court of law that they got the coronavirus because they walked into your your fight promotion and then when they left they were felt they felt sick like how can you prove that because they can't even tell us how everybody's getting it you know one way or the other but nonetheless um if you're a promoter you know especially an amateur promoter like i said i feel for you you're not working in millions of dollars like you know some of the boxing promoters and not to say you know i've seen boxing promoters have to postpone shows and do all that kind of thing. And not a lot of the, the smaller promoters don't make a ton of money boxing up and comers in their, you know, 15, 10, 15 fights in, you know, five fights in, they're doing four, eight, 10 round uh, fights. A lot of those fighters are working their way up as well, just like MMA or, or Muay Thai or kickboxing, any of that stuff. So it's going to be really, really difficult to put on shows without fans. I sincerely hope that they allow that to happen. Maybe, you know, some promotions are going to have to combine forces and rent a very big venue and try to still get the same amount of fans in and try to cut some kind of deal because I don't know how that's going to all work. Um, 
Yeah, I wanted to shout out, uh, I know this is kind of just in between here, but I wanted to shout out Angela Hill. I gotta look this up real quick. Oh, I can't even look it up. But, yo, man. Interestingly enough, we're just gonna talk about, this is the Black Clover Martial Arts Podcast. And, yo, I just wanna say that if there's any person that needs to be celebrated in the UFC as a black martial artist, yo, it's Angela Hill, man. I mean, I just don't understand. She's been in it. She's been doing it for a minute. She was a Muay Thai fighter first. Um, and she was fighting out of evolution. In fact, my buddy that helped me start this, uh, gym and so forth, he used to train there and that's, he doesn't know literally anybody in the UFC or anybody almost in fighting at all. He always asked me the name of people. Like he'll ask me the name of Kevin Ross, even though I sent him the videos, you know, um, She's fighting out of Alliance now, but yo, man, she's been killing the game. She won, you know, what is this? I don't know, three in a row and then lost a split decision to Claudia Gadelia, which I mean, most people think she won. I mean, I, I'm under that impression too. I think she won the fight as well, but yo, when we talk about black martial artists in the fight game. I think the women get overlooked and there's not that many. So, yo, shout out to Angela Hill, man, for real. Um, if you get a chance, man, go see her fight. Show her some support and some love because, wow, man, you talk about, you know, people know that Anderson Silva is your, uh, um, is your Adesanya, you know, in Ganu, like people know all the men, but yo, shout out to, uh, Angela Hill holding down for, fucking strong black female martial artists. We don't see that many, at least, you know, out in the, in the public eye. So, you know, big shout out to her for that. Should I tell the story? All right. I guess I'll tell a story. So you know what time it is. Story time. All right. So I'll tell you the story about, um, how I knew I had to get out of the bar business. Uh, I was actively fighting amateur pretty regularly, like every three months or so. I was doing jiu-jitsu regularly and competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments as well. So I was talking a little fast there, jiu-jitsu tournaments. <laughs> um, so I, but I bartended at night and I've done this for years and years and years. So I was working in Fort Lauderdale at a bar, um, called America's Backyard. If you've ever been there, I was there for the, the opening of that. And, uh, it's a party bar, college bar. And, you know, every now and then we had some fights, but we also had, you know, some, some of the security at times was a little bit lackadaisical. So oftentimes we had to fend for ourselves. So on this one particular night, there was a, uh, a couple at the bar and then there was a, a dude standing there yelling sort of at the guy that was ordering the drinks for him and his girl. Both myself and my partner that I worked with we're pouring beers at the same place and we kind of defused the situation, right? I kind of reached over and was like, yo man, what's up? And when I did that, the couple walked off and his buddy that he was with turned and was like, yo man, chill out. Why are you doing that? Whatever. So he was like, all right, all right, all right. So I went back to serve my beer. My partner went back the other way to serve his beer to his customers. And just then like a full on melee broke out because what happened was, once they kind of walked away from the bar, the guy that was doing the yelling at the couple for just no reason, he was just crazy. Uh, his buddy turned his back to him. And when his buddy turned his back, 
he ran over and threw like almost like a Superman sucker punch at the uh, the guy that was with his girlfriend. And there was a big group around them. As soon as he threw that punch, it was a bar fight straight out of like Roadhouse. All Everything was just flying around. Bodies were flying around. My buddy and I that I was working with, we both ran at the place at the bar where we could jump over. And we ran into each other like three stooges, right? So we went to go jump and we both hit each other. I'm like, go. So he jumps over and runs into the, into the fray. I jump right behind him. And when my feet hit the floor, somebody backs into me. When the guy turns around, it's the guy that started the whole fight. So he looks at me and I look at him and I'm looking at him. I don't know if I said anything, but in my mind, I was thinking like, yo, what? How did you get out of that? And he looked at me and he mumbled something, but I don't know what he was. I don't know what he said. I don't know if I just zoned out of it, but, uh, he then grabbed me in a bear hug. Like, like this, grabbed me probably like this because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. So he grabbed me in a bear hug over my arms. And if you've trained any martial arts, you know, uh, grappling martial arts at all, you know, you have, you know, underhooks and leverage and the whole thing, which he had no clue. So I, underneath his bear hug, grabbed him around his waist and I tripped him. But this was all in this crazy moment of a uh, bar fight. So when I tripped him, he goes on his back. But I go head first into the concrete. So I have a gash on my head and I feel the blood start to run down from my eyes, down my nose. And it's in my eye. I'm furious. So he's underneath me and I hit him a couple times. He's trying to grab me. So I hit him a couple times. And when I hit him and I hit, I hit him with an elbow. And when I hit him with an elbow, he like freaked and turned over. And when he rolled over, I grabbed him by the neck and started choking him. Uh, rear naked choke hooks in the whole thing with my back against the bar now. So, uh, we're on the floor and I remember just, I guess the fights had been broken up that were standing up. And because we were under the bar, we were kind of away from all that, but they, so they came running over lucky, lucky. You got to stop. You got to stop. Yeah. I would never been more furious at a person in my life. I was so freaking mad. And uh, this guy has the nerve to get up and say, ah, you're the one that's bleeding. And again, I went after him and yeah, I could, it was crazy. So I took him out the back and threw him out into the alley on his head. But holy moly, man, that was the, uh, that was the moment that I kind of knew, first of all, that if I'm going to pursue this in any form or fashion, I got to get a, get out of the bar business. And I love, I mean, I love being, you know, I didn't love necessarily bartending, but I didn't mind being out at night. I'm a night owl. I didn't mind staying up, any of that stuff. But I don't want to be using jujitsu and Muay Thai and any of that stuff out in the streets because, I mean, at least in those situations at bars where people are drunk and just being idiots because um, it can put you in a bad situation, man. I'm not trying to end up in court because some moron decided to slap some dude at a bar. It's really ridiculous. But, yeah, that was story time. Story, story time. time. I had... Uh, I had a big gash over my, uh, over on my forehead. If I get a picture of that, I know I have a picture somewhere. I'll definitely post it as part of this. Um, listen, man, I had a great week. It was crazy. The skateboard was great. Um, 305 fights interview was awesome. The New York magazine interview was intense and the Miami spine and performance interview was fun. So, um, looking forward to 
you know, doing it again soon. If you're in the area in North Miami, make sure you stop by the gym. That's 15423 Northeast 21st Avenue. And uh, you can also drop us a line or an email at uh, Lucky's MT Miami at Gmail. You can go on Instagram and check us out at Lucky's Muay Thai. On Twitter, you can check me out at Lucky's Muay Thai. If you're watching this, you already know it's on YouTube, Lucky's Muay Thai. I'm going to make some new videos soon, some technique videos, maybe a reaction video or two. Um, it's been a little hectic getting the gym back going again, but I'm looking forward to it, uh, this whole rebuilding process. So, um, again, if you're in the area, stop by the gym. And if you like these videos, please subscribe. Hit your friends up. Be like, yo, check this dude out. He's, you know, talks a lot. And he tells stories. Sometimes they're funny. Um, what else? I think that's it, folks. It was short and sweet this week. But I love you guys. And uh, enjoy it. Enjoy each other. Love each other. I'll catch y'all next week. I have a thing. I have a thing.